I'm going to start this podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to the Pursuing Purpose podcast. I'm BC, your host, um, and thanks for tuning in. Thanks for checking in. This is a podcast where we hope to have conversations and dive deep on things that are purposeful and bigger than ourselves uh, in a world where anxiety and depression and fear um, kind of rise up into our chest. I, uh, I was kind of sitting with some friends and when we talked about this idea of pursuing purpose, it was when you pursue something bigger than yourself, it kind of calms a lot of anxiety and depression because a lot of that comes from comparison. And when you have the voice in your head that is kind of like, oh man, I'm not doing enough. I'm not, I don't look like this. I don't have enough success or this. The only thing that's ever calmed my anxiety and depression when, I th- when those thoughts come in my head is, hey, you're here to help people. And that's your strength and that's your superpower. And every single time I've ever realigned with my purpose, I was able to calm my anxiety and my my fears and all my, you know, worry and stuff. So so welcome. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate everyone listening because I, I uh I'm like still learning this podcast stuff and how to get into rhythm and flow with it. So anyone who listens, I get so stoked and amped and and I like try to plant like Easter eggs, like little things I say that only like my true like supporters and community will like, Hey BC, when you said this on your podcast, what'd you mean? And I'm always like, Oh man, that's so dope. So today <clears throat> I'm so excited. It is June 18th and I have one of my good friends. And like I said, my role models, my heroes, someone that I look up to Kylan young in the studio, in my room, <laughs> in my room slash office, Kylan, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. It is. It's quite an office. Yeah, so you, if you can point this part oh, to you. Yep. So here, you can turn it this way. There and, we go. And then, oh, yeah. Uh, ooh. Yeah. So just talk right there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, Heck, yeah. yeah. Smooth voice. Um, dope. Well, thanks for coming, man. Thanks for having me. Um, it's always a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kylan and I have known each other for almost three years now since yeah. the Traveling Good. Yeah, yeah, We met in Memphis. Um, one of my heroes and mentors and, like, just, like, Someone who's truly like when I think about who's changed my life is Tom Shadyak. And I watched a documentary called I Am like probably 10 years ago when it came out. And I was young. I was still in my younger 20s. And I've watched this film and I just go, this is it. Like this. Oh, my God. And then I screened that film around Denver probably 10 times. Like I showed it at houses and offices and like events. And I was like, everyone needs to see this film. And it was the only thing doc that I've ever saw that like just resonated with like people need to see this. So at that point, Tom became just like my role, like my role model, my hero. And then um, if anybody doesn't know, Tom Shadyak made like all the 90s comedies, Ace Ventura, Liar Liar, Patch Adams, Nutty Professor. He made all these amazing comedies in the 90s, almost died and then went around the world and asked what's wrong with the world and what can we do to fix it? Made a documentary called I Am. It's unreal. There hasn't been anything really since. I know he was working on a sequel called We Are. Um, that anyway. So I ended up meeting him later on in life, and it was my dream come true. I had dinner with him, yeah. and um, and then I met with him in Memphis, and you were there working with him on Memphis Rocks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the Memphis Rocks is the gym that he opened up, a uh, nonprofit gym. Which, I, I mean, if you were to ask him, he wouldn't even say he opened it up. He'd say that like he provided some resources, but then the community opened it up because yeah. he's like about it, about it. Like he's been into helping communities. He started giving away his wealth in like vast, high, really high quantities years, years before that, um, you know, gave away his car and was like riding his bike everywhere, 40 miles each way to work just because he's like, how do I have a better impact type of a guy? And he was he was uh, really trying to walk the walk. Um, and 
somehow through his journey, he ended up in Memphis. And I met him when he was in Malibu, when he was teaching at uh, a university, uh, a college I went to. Pepperdine, yeah, right? Yeah, Pepperdine. Yeah. And uh, so, which he was also teaching, like, this class on life and, and love and, and storytelling. And it was just the, the most life-changing class. You took his class. Forever. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I wandered into his – well, I didn't even take his, his class. He did these uh, – at Pepperdine, we have these things called, like, convocations. They're, like, a – supposed to be something religious oriented uh sessions oh, oh, uh and so he would do these every single week he started he started his own series and the only reason i went is because somebody was just like hey you know you can go to this event and you'll get bikes and i was like what they didn't give out a bike like what do you mean and uh so he went <laughs> and at the end of the class he's like yeah if you come to all five of these then you get a bike and all we did and i was like what like what do you what do you mean and and i found out essentially what he had done is he had been doing this class at Pepperdine where every semester he would have, you know, a small group of students and they would watch a film, a documentary, or they'd bring in a speaker. They'd talk. He called it like storytelling in film or something like that, but it was really just a class about life. Like it was amazing because he, he wanted people to, to question beyond just like work and beyond just schoolwork and beyond, you know, everything doesn't have to have a, productivity purpose it was it was much more about like what is you know your your life purpose type of deal yeah and well storytelling in film like is life right like, yeah he was like it was it was called that but he was like guess what this is actually like a way more deeper course and it and it was and he would and so i guess he decided to bring this to more of the campus and his hook was like the bikes and, and where the bikes came from he said he's like you know it's not to be oprah or anything like that just to give away stuff uh, it's because right now in college, you're at a place where everyone's telling you to look at like how serious you have to be as you enter like the, the adult world and you have to work and plan out your life and your career path and all these things. And he's like, what if you just play like two? He's yeah. like, what it like? Cause that could be the most important thing that you do is just, you get on a bike and you play. And, and what he would do is he'd say, Hey, I'm gonna give you guys a bike, but I want you guys to also figure out how you can impact a local community. So there's a school out, uh, Compton, he was in right? Compton, yeah. yeah, yeah, and so he, it would, his class would partner there, and they'd buy bikes, and then this ended up getting turning into a bigger partnership with like Ellen and Generous, and so he, uh, he ended up on the Ellen Show, and, and she partnered, and, and our school partnered, everybody raised funds, and we ended up having uh, the whole entire school like getting getting bikes for these kids that were there, and it was just such a giving them out such a positive experience, and, and it was, I don't know, I so he. That was the the my introduction to Tom yeah. was in this class, <laughs> and then we ended up hearing all these cool stories and meeting all these cool people and and watching these cool films. And one of them was his film I Am, and and then he was in the middle of a book, and I was like, hey, like I want to be, like I want to learn more from you because he was just teaching me like how to live in in certain ways and think ways I hadn't. And, yeah. Uh, and then he's like, hey, I have this book that I'm getting ready to launch, um, and I was like, hey, I can help with that, and so. Uh, ended up grabbing like a team of students. We started planning like events and social media and stuff to promote his book and and have him speak at some other schools and and, and such. And uh, and then of course he, you know he had a really solid network anyway. So the book ended up being like a really pretty solid like uh, New York Times bestseller list success and all that. And then uh, and I just stayed in touch with him and would like work on him work with him on little things here and there. And uh, and then after working for a few years and. Uh, I ended up like building a company with some friends and and then I was taking some time like for myself because like we sold that and and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and I hit up Tom and he's like hey I'm opening this spot in Memphis 
and would love to have you come out and help us uh, with putting some of the things that we're putting together there. And that was Memphis Rocks. And uh, he essentially had met some people in the community because he was teaching a class out there. And uh, and what's crazy, I think you appreciate this, he actually got kicked out of Pepperdine because Pepperdine is a Christian university. And what they told him is – and what it was because when he opened up his classroom to this larger group – they were having conversations that made a lot of traditional, at least Christian, traditional Christian students like feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And one of the classes they were talking about, uh, like homosexuality, and uh, they there's a student that that got up and said, you know, like like how this is wrong or whatever. Another student was just like, hey, like it, it was a story of how her her room she, she's like i grew up in church and like knowing that this is wrong but then i have my my friend here and every single day multiple times a day he's like the most devout person ever and he prays and he's praying because he just is asking god like like can you fix me because i, I feel this way and every day he's praying and it's, it's breaking him down and she's just like i just don't see how what i believe could make sense anymore like like if this if this is what this person is doing and is putting in that work and, and this is what it's feeling and, and just to see them being torn apart that way uh just because of how they were born and i remember tom said you know he's like he's like i think that the the better prayer is like can you fix us like it's not about fixing him he's, yeah. he's perfect he's fine it's fixing us that makes him not feel that way yeah and uh and that was one of the conversations that moved up the ranks at pepperdine and they essentially said, hey, we don't we you know, these conversations aren't like what we want you to do. <laughs> it wasn't even we're, we're, he was he was volunteering yeah. his time. Yeah. So they're like, if you want to teach a class, it can only be on uh, on story on storytelling on film. Mm-hmm. It has to be something that can get these kids a job, basically, yeah. not just talking about these altruistic like life things. Yeah. And it was kind of ironic because. Uh, the way we were kind of looking at it is like, that's like if, if somebody's telling Jesus, like, Hey, we appreciate all these lessons and stuff, but like, we need you just to teach carpentry because <laughs> yeah. like these other lessons aren't gonna get people jobs. Like, can you just teach the woodwork? And like, I know it's just, it just was crazy. So they, yeah. they put him out in Memphis and that's how he started in that community. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I know he loves challenging conversation and the status quo and very much like Jesus, Jesus loved challenge and all that he asked and Jesus loved asking questions, right? Like Tom answered that question with the question. It was like, Hey, we, we stop trying to change people. Just try to change ourselves, you know? Yeah. And that's literally what Jesus preached all the time was like, you know, whoever could throw the first stone who hasn't sinned, throw the first stone. And everyone's like, Oh, well we've all sinned. So we'll see you later. So, um, yeah, Tom's amazing. And so yeah, Memphis rocks is a rock climbing health studio in one of the most in dangerous cities and zip codes in the country. Yeah. And he invested his entire savings and his life into helping this urban area, this urban community. And he just gives, like he said, he, he, he'll he never like be like, this is my thing. He just gives all the intention and glory to the community. He employs all of them. It's free. It's pay what you can. Rock climbing and juice bar. And, and it's like nice. That. It's like, it's oh, not it's like the best. I think that's the other thing. Sometimes people come to a community and they, you know, you get people's leftovers. It's one of the nicest climbing gyms in the country. Yeah. People go from the different parts of the country to go climb it. Yeah. So anyway, that's how we met. Uh, Kyle and I met, and Tom was just like the biggest fan of you. And then we stayed in touch, and then we lived in L.A. at the same time. So we're like, hey, let's connect. And we finally started connecting. And and then, um, yeah, Monday Night Group, I guess, like kind of brought us to do deeper 
kind of we gotta see you more because yeah. you live in downtown so like we live in west side so it's like we don't get to see we saw you everyone i oh i saw you at the movie screening with tara yeah i met tara because of you oh that was where you guys met yeah tara oh, and i wow. met so he made a movie called brian banks that is also un- un- incredible yeah, tom I, did yeah. yeah tom shadyak did and uh i put that on my story the other day because it's free right now but i met tara that night she's like one of my best friends now and then you come to the west side a lot now which is a huge win and uh you've been coming to money night group almost since the beginning yeah, 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 wow. We're at nine months right now for our small group. Jeez. And um, so anyway, Kylan is like an entrepreneur. You have such a, how old are you, 28? Yes. You're 20, you're 28. <laughs> I was like, yes. So you're 28. So this podcast, I love, I have a lot of young people, a lot of young, like teenagers and young 20s. And I love walking people through, I love calming their anxiety because I think they're really overwhelmed because they're comparing themselves to 28 and 29 and 30 year olds. And I'm always like, yo, be patient. You have time. You have so much time. And, you know, you being 28 and even now we'll, we'll get to it in a second where you're going through a career change, you know, and like, I just love how there is no formula to life. Like there is no, my major is going to make sense because of this. And then because of this, and I love letting people like, Hey, you're going to change jobs that literally you're gonna, you can go from like a baker to a personal trainer, to a photographer within four years. Like you literally can. Yeah. And so, you know, you being 28, you just, you're, you're switching careers, which I don't know. I guess we could, I don't know if it's public yet. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. I didn't ask. My bosses know. It's fine. Okay. Your so boss is not. Is live? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not live. Okay. Um, but, uh, but anyway, you are like, I just, your character, your charisma, like your, the way you, you know, handle yourself with people and the way you care for people are, you're like the big brother of our Monday night group, um, where you are just so good at listening and you're so good at like leaning in and asking questions. And so, um, with kind of everything going on right now with, I mean, there's so many aspects we can talk about with, with COVID to black lives matter. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was just like on my heart, I've always wanted to interview on my podcast anyway, but then black lives matter came and I know you've been going through that and emotions and feelings and, and, um, trying to navigate that. And then me from my white perspective of like trying to feel that and navigate it. And it's like this, like any, you know, mosaic you know like we talk about a lot is like it's all this shattered glass yeah we're all pieces of shattered glass and we have to come together to make this mosaic um that is just more beautiful than it was when it shattered you know and so you we can talk about a lot of different things yeah i I, I know so you what was your major in college uh so my major was like advertising and marketing um but then i also did like a social action and justice program at the school and uh and you finished at pepperdine yeah okay yeah, all, yeah and you grew up where so i grew up in san Bernardino county uh in the small like desert town called victorville it's it's, it's a, basically a, a gas station stop on your way to vegas whoa it's a small little town yeah well it's like it's a small big t- it's weird because it's connected it's like multiple towns are all connected so and pretty segregated um so but it's so when you add up all like there's only one mall that connects all seven of these like small towns. Yeah. So it feels like a big small place kind of. Weird. Is there a downtown like a city? I get that would be like Victorville. Like the spot is the that is the downtown, familiar. but there's nothing. Yeah, you have driven past it if you drove to Vegas. It's like it's not. It's near. It's near Big Bear. Like Big Bear is the top of the mountain that's kind of near it. Okay. Uh, it, it it's. There's not, I mean, it, it's one of like the meth capitals of the country. I don't know. Really? <laughs> it's not it's like that kind of small town. Yeah, yeah. It's not, but there is a lot of people. It's it, for, for, for a small town. There's a lot of people. Yeah. So well, some of those small towns throughout the U S is where like the, yeah, the meth. Yeah. Like capitals are, it's crazy. Like in, like in Oklahoma, I think it's 
Toledo, Ohio. No, oh, Toledo, sure. Ohio. That's what it is. Like that's one of them too, and opioids, all that stuff. So okay, so you grew up there. You finished high school. You played football, um, right? Yeah. And then you were. And then how did you choose Pepperdine? Uh, just it was a. I had a like family friend mentor who like went there, and she had told me about it and it just seemed like uh, I knew I wanted to get out of the desert. And so I was like, well, the beach or, or New York. And uh, so I had a school choice at both of them. Um, and I think that that's actually, I, I pretty much wanted to, uh, I checked out the school and was like, this is, looks really cool. And Oh, you know, what's crazy. Okay. So here's something. I actually got a letter from Pepperdine that was like, Hey, school costs, I don't know, 55,000 a year or something crazy like that. Yeah. It's nice. And uh, here's, and you have financial aid for like the full amount. And, and I, so me and my, like I'm first generation college, like me and my sister were the first ones to go to college. So like, this is a top 50 school. They sent me a letter said I have like full financial aid. I was like, awesome. I'm going here because they're giving me full financial aid. So I get there and the first, like I'm in the financial aid office and like, yeah. So like you have to sign for these loans. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, I thought this was financial aid. They're like, yeah, that's loans. Like I didn't know because no, we didn't, yeah. I didn't know anybody that went to college. And so I thought financial aid meant like, a like you know actually co like covering it rather yeah, than like spawn, like yeah a, <laughs> scholarship or scholarship, something yeah it was not it was completely loans and i was like i can't sign on for you know three hundred thousand dollars worth of loans so <sighs> i basically you know I, I grew up with a lot of persistence and so i went to that financial aid office to talk to someone every day for my first like three weeks like every single day and uh, i think i just wore them down and they were just like all right here's you know 55% coverage or something like that. And they're like, can you, like, I, I think first they tried to give me some sort of like minor thing, like $10,000 or something. And I was like, okay, that's nothing. So I just went back and har harassed them until they, they're like, okay, here's this coverage. Like, uh, so, and I took that and was just like, all right, fine. And, and I'll figure out the rest. I was like, it's fine. I'm graduate. I'll be rich. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, I, uh, cause that was the, the life plan that I'd heard. You go to college and then you graduate and everything's yeah. fine. So, um, so that's how, I, that's how I ended up picking between that and go, or going to New York Whoa. was that. And, uh, and I, of course, you know, the, uh, the friends and, and experiences and, and where I am now, like, like was all worth it. Uh, and, and it was a new experience cause like I went to high school that was, uh, like majority white, like overwhelmingly white. Cause like where I lived in Victorville is like mostly black and Mexican, but, um, and this this actually dives us into the conversation around what's happening right now. Yeah. Because a lot of the conversations going on right now are about like equality. And so if you look at a the the situation with like George Floyd and obviously, you know, uh so much pain that that's been associated nationwide and, and uh, of course I can only imagine so much more for his family and loved ones. And my heart goes out to them, but it's when you look at that, people tend to tend to think that that's what this whole movement is about. And what they forget is that that is the atrocious visualization of systemic racism in America. So, like, that's where it ends. That's why we show that on the news. People always say, like, somebody might say, hey, why do you show, you know, a black guy gets killed by a cop, but not a white person gets killed by a cop? It's like, because this is, it starts everywhere else and if i show you a video if the news would show you a video of a little kid in elementary school that gets they get higher uh, percentages of being sent to the office sent to the principal sent to the dean sent for punishment they get higher punishments um 
just the same way it happens in the prison system. It starts in schools. Uh, if I was to show you that in the news, like that's not a viral news story. It's like, hey, look, these kids are being disproportionately disciplined in school. Like there are reports and they do the news, but it doesn't catch people's attention. So what that what the point is, they're saying like, hey, that decision there and then all these other decisions that we make lead up to all these inequalities that lead up to more interactions with the police that lead up to something like George Floyd. Hmm. And so that's why we're showing it. And so that's why everybody's that's talking about it like we're, we're it's galvanized around that experience because it's something that everyone can look at and be like this is wrong of course it's like yeah but it doesn't happen in a vacuum like it's not an isolated incident you have to understand how we got there yeah. and so people want to look and say like well how does what do you mean like all these things because everything's equal right now the high school that i went to like i said it was a majority white high school the reason why i went there is because they had a high graduation rate high college acceptance rate uh and it was but I was, it was not where I lived. Where I lived was when all the black Mexicans went and uh, lived in around the corner from me was another high school. That high school was the first, I think the first high school in California to get its own sheriff's unit, which its own problem did in its multiple own ways. What? Sheriff's unit. Sheriff's unit. Okay. Yeah, at a high it school. Was very... Yeah. Because uh, they were having problems there and they decided that we have no counselors, but let's bring sheriffs because, you know, that's how we solve our problems. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Longer conversation that we'll get to, I'm sure. Um, but my mom didn't want us to like, go to those schools. She wanted us to, to, you know, we saw education as like a, a way to elevate to yeah. get to the next level. And so we, she applied for this lottery for interdistrict transfer. So I think that's why when, whenever people are talking about equality, it's like, no, no, like I want a literal lottery yeah. to be able to go to a school. And then even then, because I was in a district, the school buses wouldn't pick us up that far away. So me and my sister we would take the city bus and and for high school that was an hour each way essentially to take wow. the city bus uh to go to this other school where we could have a you know a, a better education um in this space that was uh you know over 90 percent white like and uh and like at less than two percent black and wow. that is where and that's how we we i had the opportunity to to be able to have experiences after that that got me into the schools and everything yeah. and it's just like when somebody, because Pepperdine probably wouldn't have happened, right? In exactly. School, yeah, yeah, yeah probably. And, and it's not. And I think people tend to not be able to look at both at the same time: personal accountability and systems. Because it's like maybe if I went to Silverado, I would have the, which is the bat, the worst school. I would have ended up with uh, going the same path, going to college. Maybe I would have, but the odds would have been harder. Yeah. Because there'd be more distractions. There'd be more things going on, and I had nothing to do with how I, it was a huge luck that I ended up at this other school. Yeah. And so that is what I've always looked at in terms of like privilege. It's like, oh man, like I got lucky. Like my parents split up before I was one years old, but they were both in my life. Like, and there were other things that happened like generations above that, that like allowed me to be able to be in, in that position. And so, but all these other little things that might happen in somebody else's life is how you end up with a George Floyd situation. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of what this conversation is about right now is we're saying like, hey, stuff is messed up everywhere. Yeah. And we need to talk about it everywhere. Yeah. And it's not just one thing. It like cops killing a black man is just the first layer, right? <laughs> like there's it's like an onion. You're peeling back these layers. Yeah. It's the and, end and result. Yeah, the, exactly. It's the end result. Yeah. It's like it's like everyone's like, that's really sad. It's like that happened because of a root cause. And and that's what Tom Shade talks about to do. Like Cause I talked to him after I went to Ferguson and he was like, what was it out there? And I was explaining it. He goes, no, nah, there's something deeper going on. 
And yeah, it is a system and it is a country that is built on a broken system. Like we can't ever, we just have to acknowledge certain things and, and you know, people, uh, yeah, people are wrestling with like, if we're losing, you know, white people, I think are struggling a lot right now with losing, um, privilege, yeah. which means losing leverage. Yeah. And, and it, it's that equality. You should never have privilege or leverage, you and, know? And it's, there's two things. I mean, one is, uh, you know, it, it, and I think Tom may have got me on the word. He always says like, you know, if, if privilege is hard for people to understand, then just then he'll call it resources, like white resources. Mm. Sometimes it's like the, uh, you know, people say like, you know, if you're accustomed to, to privilege, then equality feels like oppression. And like, yeah, it does. Like yeah. that's the reality. Yeah. yeah, it does. If you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. It, it, <laughs> oh my God. Right. That, I, I know that. And, Dude. and I think that the, an experience that I had that, that really highlighted that for me to be able to see and kind of understand it's super small but i was yeah. like oh okay um i went to this this like women's event i think it's like together rising or something that uh, uh some friends had set up and were a part of and then they had like gender neutral bathroom lines so everybody had to wait in the same line uh, no matter your gender and i was just like well i just have to pee yeah which like and there's a urinal in there so like i should be able to just go in and pee and come out and i was like oh this is equality. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh. Like, yeah, this does feel like a hindrance yeah. to me because I have to wait in line with the, like, you'll see, you know, women's bathrooms always have line cause it's a, a longer process than just walking up to a urinal. Yeah. And it's just like that, that to me was like, oh, that was like, get, you get accustomed to the male privilege of just, and it's such a small thing. But yeah. then it's just like, where does that, where else is this playing out in our lives? Dude, 100%. And that's what people are seeing. The other thing I wanted to say is just because you, you talked about this being a broken system and it's a, uh, you know, the most insidious part is that it, the more we look at it, it's not broken. It, it's operating exactly how it was designed to operate. Hmm. Because, you know, if you watch something like the 13th, Ava DuVernay's movie on Netflix, it just talks about how. Please watch 13th. Yeah, everybody. If, you, if you're listening to this, please go watch 13th. It's, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll learn so much and it just, and it breaks it down visually and, and so simply and plainly just to see like how slavery essentially transitioned into the prison system. <laughs> yeah. and uh and all the insidious ways that, that happened and but so that's what we're seeing now is like hey we're we're pulling she already pulled back the curtain and, and people before her and in general you know we all stand on the on the shoulders of giants and they they were trying to point this out you know angela davis wrote a whole book on like the prison system like you know decades ago and i'm sure there's people before her and so they're trying to point out like hey this is what the system's designed to do hmm. it's designed to keep power where it's at yeah and and it kept correcting itself they kept cr putting little things whether it's redlining or or you know jim crow laws or anything else um taking dads away from taking families. dads away yeah. and, and so that's that's exactly it so somebody everybody looks at the surface sometimes and mm -hmm. somebody will be like well you know the reason that there's more cr crime there's more police in black communities is because it's like well it, it, it's because there's more crime there and yeah. it's like, okay, so consider what you're saying. You're saying one of two things. You're saying either that there's something in place that is creating more crime. There's systems in place that is creating more crimes in these communities. Or you're saying that black people are just criminals inherently. Yeah. And that that's why, or they do criminal lesser behavior. And essentially you're Leonardo DiCaprio in Django Unchained where he's talking about, yeah, they have these little dots in the back of their skull that makes them worse or whatever. Yeah. And it's just like, those are the two things. So you either you have to look at what it is, and you know somebody will look at a uh, a a black on black crime is, is a is a fun 
horrible uh, term. Ca- term, yeah. catchphrase. And yeah. those like, which, because what you're describing is crime, first yeah. of all. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're just describing crime. Yeah. And you're also not talking about the source. So I, I, I think that that's, that's something that you hear a lot. And, and when I tell people, so I was, um, if I'm talking like an event or something, I'll say like, hey, don't be distracted. And black and black crime is a key phrase to, to distract people yeah. because you're like, you know, I saw this police chief that was just like, well, you know, we're all these people caring when they're here for an officer that shoots somebody once a year or whatever. But like, what about all of the black and black crime? It's like, well, first of all, you're talking just about crime, which is yeah. your guys' job itself. Second of all, like, what is it that you're telling us to do? Like, are you telling us to go, like, do you have the gang members address you want to share with us so we can go protest outside their house and be like, hey, stop being criminals? Like, that wouldn't make any sense. So I don't know what you're asking us to do with that. And you're also disrespecting all the people who are addressing that because there are people like a Memphis Rocks that's creating the alternative for for kids in the community. There are people like Urban Saddles is another group I work with in Los Angeles and Compton to help kids like have a new experience to keep them out of the gang life. There is... The Diane's Kids Project or something like that. There's Build in Los Angeles is another project. There's all or in Chicago. There's all these organizations that have been there for decades in mo- in lots of cases that are working to reverse yeah. that crime. So they're working to try and help the youth, but they lack the resources. Yeah. And so that's where we're at right now. Is like, hey, like we need to figure out how to get the resources into these into these communities because they've been so disadvantaged and because it's. Uh, an example, I was trying to like explain to somebody the, the the black and black crime. And I was like, imagine that you had a child who was being abused at home. And what physical, emotional, whatever type of abuse you want. Not all the time, just sometimes. Consistently. And they get in lots of fights at school. Yeah. And so if you go to that kid and you're like, hey, I get things are bad at home. But you need to... Uh, learn how to control your anger yeah. and stop fighting. And it's just like, yeah, that's true. Like, like he can take responsibility. He can do that. That is true for sure. But you're not addressing the problem. Exactly. The problem is what's causing that anger. Yeah. And it's just such a disrespectful, like inconsiderate. It's like you, you'd actually don't really care yeah. if you really cared, then you want to fix the problem. Get them, correct that home, like yeah. correct the home, correct the condition. Yeah. So anytime someone says black on black crime, I want you to, that's a perfect knowledge. The second you hear someone say that, or if you say that, if you're a white person saying, what about black on black crime? Immediately think about a kid being abused at home constantly and going to school and fighting. And then you just being like, Hey, stop fighting. It's like, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. There's something where black on black crime is a very inconsiderate way of, um, scapegoating. Well, right? it's scapegoating because, which is what you saw at the looting. It's because it's the, it doesn't involve your participation exactly. to fix it. Exactly. If you're looking at like how, to, you know, if you want to address systemic racism, you're like, you have a role in that. There's something you can do as a white person to help change that for black and black crime or, or for riots or whatever. There's nothing you can do. So it's much easier to talk about the thing that gives you zero responsibility. Judging it. Yeah. And I think what I get caught up a lot is stories trump statistics and we love statistics in our culture and in our human nature. We love stats and we love being like this is and this is and this and it's like whoa, whoa calm down go meet a person of color go go in these communities go listen to these people go sh- like the, the one thing that I, I used in my video that i heard a uh, a mentor of mine that is um african-american and a community leader he said you can't solve a problem you don't understand and you can't understand from a distance you know and so yeah it's like if you're not a, if you're not what i always tell people too with that because i've been trying to change the world for so long and make a difference yeah. and people judge and people troll me and i'm like if you don't have a place at the table if you aren't making a difference in environment or in ocean or in 
urban areas. If you're not making a difference, don't come sit at the table and talk to me about what I can do and do not do better. Yeah. So if you're not in, if you're not at the protest, if you're not in the communities, just don't talk unless you can somehow get there or listen to these podcasts or, or research and watch documentaries. Like if you're not at the table watching docs, like that's the one thing that hurts my heart is no people aren't watching 13th or Selma or like, I remember they did a study when they said, like, I, I always ask white people, like, cause there was a study that like when um, American sniper and Selma came out, American sniper made 150 million in, in box sales and Selma made like 30 million. And every single time I'm talking to a white person about these kind of inequalities, I'm like, have you seen American Sniper? They're like, oh yeah, I watched, I love that movie. I was like, have you seen Selma? They're like, no. And I was like, that's it. You know, you're just like, you have to, you have to sit at the table and, and research and educate and, and feel really bad emotions. You're going to feel shit that you wish you did not. You're, you're going to feel, you're going to feel yeah. something that come up in your chest and you're going to make your stomach turn into knots and you need to go there. Um, and yeah. I think people are dealing with that right now a lot in terms of like guilt because they they're they've been inspired to to do something if, if they feel like they haven't or everybody's been inspired to do more maybe if they already were yeah and i think what they're realizing is that you know george floyd isn't this isn't the first time this has happened it's just the first time they were moved to do something about it and it and was that, being filmed yeah well i mean there was other ones being filmed yeah this yeah, one was like this was finally like because you thought the eric garner one like i mean that video or any of, yeah i mean eric garner and then obviously um Rice, Tam Tamir Rice, yeah. you see that, and and there's white people still have their defenses, because as uh, white people, as me too, before I started being yeah. part of these communities, I literally in my head didn't think cops were um, like the best, but I knew they weren't bad. Yeah, in, in suburbs, if you're white, you 100% believe cops aren't bad, and because 99% of the experience we have cops aren't bad, and so we and we just think that cops are inherently good, and so I walked into my school that I worked at for for like six years with my kids and my students. And they would tell me about the cops picking on them. And I would immediately be like, oh, so you guys are probably messing around yeah. doing bad stuff. I couldn't have been more wrong. And it was literally because of the color of the skin. They just had a park sitting down and cops would come pick on them. And I started witnessing it. And I was like, okay, this is something bad. You know, this is something that I, I, I needed to not only go live in this community, invest in these kids for years. I didn't see it until years of living in it and investing in it. Yeah. So think about from a white person that's never even been in the urban area. Like, I mean... I can't even imagine the disconnect you have with with that those those stories, you know. Well, and and it's and I think that's the question right now that 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 we've seen, you know, people are realizing is that they had to, you had to question your reality. And I didn't know that because you you know they've done studies and and uh, and one of like the most popular books right now that's sold out is like White Fragility, Robin D'Angelo. It's a solid, amazing book. But she talks about how how much white people don't talk about or understand race typically because and that's by design because you don't want to talk about white supremacy because it makes you uncomfortable but yeah. if you uh and then it also makes you have to confront it and she talks about how if you're a white person that's in a white uh if, if, that grew up in an all-white community the whole time then essentially people who are and the, if you have a black kid that grew up in a black community the whole time their whole life and they're not around any black people the white person will not really have any idea about like racial dynamics but the black person still will and that's just because it's part of your experience uh to know about this because you know it's relevant to your life and you know it's relevant to like figuring it out so i think that that was interesting to me to to, to tell people like hey like you actually have to question your reality because uh the first experience that really woke me up to it was when i was you know because i got 
the talk from from my dad about like how to interact with the police you know when i was a little kid do you remember <laughs> do you remember that talk that a moment with your dad yeah i mean <laughs> do you remember how old you were uh how old was i i don't know i mean it's more than one talk i'm sure first of all um but we had conversations i don't know seven eight like yeah. I, I always try yeah at, at somewhere around there um yeah it, it is a and, the, and my dad had his own experiences too, because he not only is he older than me, but like he spent some time in like Mississippi with his uh, with his parents for a little while. Like like they they were from out here, and they moved to Mississippi for a little while, and then they moved back. And just the experiences that they had, um, and, and and I think that's what people forget is how close this is. Like like my dad wasn't my my grandma would say like oh she remembers that she had my dad at uh, some place and he was playing with the drinking fountain. And she's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm waiting for the colored water to come out because it said like colored above the water and like it, and it wouldn't come out. And I was like, that's my dad. So like it's not and he's you know still alive and still young. Yeah. It's not the old. And then I remember I think my sister pointed out to me. She's like, we are the first generation. Me, I'm 28. The first generation in our family that were born with an uninhibited right to vote. So when. I think people tend to think that all this this is so long ago, but it's just like, no, no, like like we've are family has been in slavery longer than we've been free mm. like it is a startling uh proximity and a startling timeline if, if you look at it um so to think that those effects like that these families you know don't have i i just saw i just saw this and it was, it was, it was crazy um at one of the fairs of that the ymca hosted uh or maybe it was tangential i don't, don't want to discriminate but the um they the fair next to them or whatever that, that a lot of the kids from there would go play at. One of the most popular games at this fair was a call uh, at this fair, the carnival games. You know, they have the, you know, you shoot the ducks or whatever, you shoot the whatever. Um, I don't know if this is the part you want to record. One of the most <laughs> oh, yeah, popular yeah, yeah, yeah. games. No, no. Oh, <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. One of the most popular games at this fair uh, in the 40s was uh, Hit the Nigger Baby. And it was essentially a game where they would have young black kids that would uh, either stick their face like through holes or like run around while people would try and throw either eggs or in some cases baseballs at them. And this is in the 40s. Yeah. This was something that was your grandparents. Yeah, could for, yeah, talk for, about, they would yeah. talk about. <laughs> and this was one of the most popular carnival games. And it's like that's not like to to think about how close something that that everybody right now is like that's appalling. Like, how could that possibly be? It's like, no, no. People in your family participate in that. Yeah. And or or and if they didn't participate, they let it happen. And that is what I think we're seeing right now is everybody realizing like, oh, we're all complicit with mm. the way things are in terms of um, specifically white people that that allowed these things to go on. Because when you're talking about white supremacy, like, we can't create that or dismantle on our own because we don't we're not the creators of it yeah. and we're not the facilitators of it. Yeah. We're, you know, that we're experiencing it and we're living in it. So that there's just so many different layers to this right now. And, uh, and all this came right. I was like, where was I going? I remember the reality switch was, uh, on the police when me and my, well, my Mexican roommates and me and one of our white roommates in college were driving and we had a, I remember I was sitting in the back seat and I was, it was like we went to IHOP. It was super late. And I was looking over at out the window and I made eye contact with this cop car that was driving past us. And I was like, 
uh, we're going to get pulled over just so you guys know. <laughs> and they're like, what? What do you mean? Like, we're not doing anything. It's like, I'm just letting you know. And then like immediately flip the U-turn, lit us up and stop. He's like, hey, you know, what are you guys doing? Like, because it was Mexican driving and me in the back. So they only saw us two. And uh, <laughs> and then they uh, and they're like, oh, we're just checking on you guys. We're like, oh, yeah, we're students. Like, here's our student ID or whatever. And they're like, oh, OK, you guys before that sorry before they asked their students they're just like oh are you guys drinking or anything tonight like we're like no like we're under like we were i have like we were we were 19 still or something yeah. 20. <laughs> and then we he's like okay i'm just checking you guys and we gave our ids and he's like okay cool have a good night and then we got home and uh you know it just was another day like i like i got pulled over 11 times in my first semester my first nine months at college <laughs> so i was just used to it but because it was in malibu where where i don't fit in yeah <laughs> and uh the i remember my roommate that was white he said uh he's like you know i don't think i could have believed that that happened if i wasn't there mm. and that to me i was like wait what do you mean he's like well like the cops don't pull over somebody unless they have a reason is the only reality that i know yeah and like not just to check on people and i was like oh like it was mind-blowing to me i was like what do you like wait that's not like that's unbelievable to you that, that happened to me it was just like another day and i said like okay so that's the the gap that we're trying to break is break mm-hmm. reality and i think fortunately like now we have so much social media that we have these shared experiences and we're learning it yeah and so hopefully that gap is being bridged more and more yeah totally yeah there's more stories there's more um you know videotapes which is sad that we had to come like it's so heartbreaking that we had to wait yeah. you know that long until videotapes got that surfaced i mean I think the George Floyd thing was so, it was a paradigm shift for a lot of white people, but even the ones that are still kind of scapegoating is really heartbreaking, but it was yeah. still like, I think the black community was like, hey, like this is just, yeah, once it's the tip of the iceberg, two, this is just because now, now you believe us because it's being filmed, you know, it's really heartbreaking for, I think the-, the And main, this is what he did on film. Yeah. While knowing he's being filmed. Exactly. Exactly. So it's not even like that was a, a cops being like, that's just a bad cop. No, 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 no. There was something in his mind he was doing that wasn't wrong. And cops, all cops, I don't want to say all cops are bad, but all cops, most, I feel like have this entitlement of they're more powerful than, you know, they're than a human. Like they can get away with stuff that like isn't there, you know, they're more, they're above the law, above citizens. And so um, anyway, I think there's like so many ways to, you know, take this and talk about it and i know your experience so you so that's happened and i know you've been in the marches and, and you've also been working full-time but you're also um trying to do your part and educate people and i think you're going through emotional kind of like roller coasters of like hope and then hey or maybe you know or yeah. like because it's like how do we channel the anger i think is a big thing for for i, and I can't speak on your half i can't speak on the the, the african-american community half but but like your anger either goes towards hate or um or passion, you know, and kind of change and hope and stuff. And I don't know how you've been, how you've been feeling and navigating that. I mean, so I guess a couple of things and, and, and once again, myself, as you know, I can't speak for, for all black people. I can just speak for, for myself. That's all we need. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, which is all any of us could do. But I think, uh, of a few, uh, of a few things, there's a, uh, a great, um, what's his name? A qu- quote from, from James Baldwin, who's like an iconic, like, writer he you know he knew malcolm martin and was uh but a little bit younger than i think or maybe just he lived longer because he didn't get assassinated he has an amazing doc too on amazon i am not your negro is probably my favorite and uh highly recommend to everybody for sure um but he has a, a line that's shared a lot and it says 
I, I hope I don't mess it up, but it's something close to, you know, to be a Negro in America and to be relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage all the time. Hmm. And it's very popular and it's very real because it's like, oh, when you sit and you think about it, it's like, this is all messed up. Like, this is this is messed up. Like, and it's, it's a little thing sometimes. There, and that's the worst part of it is like, why do I have to die for it to be messed up? Like, hmm. why isn't it messed up when a teacher, you know, treats me slightly different one time? And then that adds, that's what people are talking like microaggressions. Like somebody looks at me. So it's just like I'm experiencing something that other people aren't because of my skin color. And that's should suck. That should be enough. And, 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 you know, we're expected to just put up with it and all these other things. And so, but the, the part that's never shared as often, like even if you Google a quote, like you'll see tons of pictures with that quote and it ends there, but he didn't end there. Cause he said he went on. Um, it's actually like, one of my, it was actually like my best friend that is white and he's an educator and he told and he went to talk because uh, he's, you know, wants to be a, a good accomplice. And he l- was uh, at a, they were talking about race and, and dynamics and such. And they had said, uh, you know, the rest of that quote uh, is actually um, the something close to like the key is to not let this rage consume and like destroy you. Hmm. Like and I think that that is my message for it is understanding like. First of all, it's not rage. It's not. I mean, it is rage and it is anger, but it's rooted in pain. Mm-hmm, exactly. And we gotta, and, and that's the worst part. Is is it's the hardest part. Yeah. You know, when you see, uh, Kimberly Latrice Jones, I think was her name. That um, she's an activist, and she had the video that they had at the end of the John Oliver bit, where she just says, you know, she's expressing like the frustration with the system and frustration with how we've tried and have had our communities burned down, and and of course, like people are looting, like like they're angry and they don't own anything and powerful video highly recommend looking it up it, it, we don't own anything is what you can google and it'll come up interesting and uh oh the, the girl, yeah the oh woman yeah where gosh. she ends and she says you know the monopoly game yeah the monopoly game exactly she talks about like income racial wealth gap and oh my and uh, inequality yeah it's powerful I exactly i want to highlight so she said imagine playing a game monopoly where the first 300 400 400 yeah. times you go around you can't play so basically, or actually, the first okay, so the first 250, 350 times you go around, you have to give whatever you get to your opponent. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then you can't play, you can't buy anything. You don't have to give anymore, but you also can't keep it. it just goes somewhere else or yeah. whatever for another you know fifty turns or whatever. And then and then somebody's like, hey, you know what? Now you can play the game. Now the rules are equal. Mm. Like that game's already over. Yeah, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, to even that out it will require a sharing of wealth from where all the wealth is already placed. All the property is already bought. Exactly. So you have to share that and figure that out to, to compensate. And right now people are saying like, what are you talking about? Like everything's equal now. It's like, no, no, but the property, the land, the money, it's already dispersed. Yeah. All so, every dollar a black man makes go more of that goes towards a white man. Yeah. So LeBron James. Yeah. He made a lot of money through Nike and NBA that all that money is built on a foundation of white people's money. So the, he, the richer a black person gets, the richer a white person gets. Yeah. Right. White America. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so you have to actually active. And that's what like, you know, um, the, the book, how to be anti-racist is talking a lot about like discrimination and understanding the difference between like a discriminatory practice. Like dis- discriminatory practices aren't inherently bad. Like you need discriminatory practices in order to compensate for past discriminatory practices. So like right now, if you look at, uh, you know, if you 
if you're trying to create balance and it's already super weighed, the only way to create balance is to actively hit the side that's that's outweighed. And so that's what he's talking about, like anti-racist behavior. Because if you were just like, oh, I'm not being racist, then it's like, then you just leave things the same. Yeah. But you can't apply that logic to it. You have to apply mm. it. And so, and and that's kind of what um, uh, Ms. Uh, Jones was talking about was she was just saying how, you know, we don't own anything because like the monopoly game. And so of course there's anger and frustration. She, uh, and she, and she has this line, the ending line is like, well, the coldest line ever. She's like, you know, America's lucky that all black people want is equality and not revenge. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like get, I get goosebumps right now. Think about it. I'm like, whoa, yeah, that's real because, um, but right after that, so they, the clip in John Oliver bit cut out right there. And it's uh, iconic about to cut out, but I like watching rest because then you see her like collapse into like her friend's arms and you just see like, man, like this isn't anger. It's pain. Mm. And like, it's, it's a, it's a justified anger caused from pain though. Yeah. And it's a pain of all of these disadvantages that, that you see. And, and you just, and you just want, it is, it's, it's difficult sometimes because you're just like, I just, what what are we we're just saying hey this isn't fair this yeah. isn't right why is that a fight like like why yeah. is anybody Justice, fighting yeah, us is, on yeah. this yeah like why why is this a debate yeah um and something that we have to fight so hard for uh just and you know michael che has that joke where he's like we're just saying we matter like yeah. <laughs> like he's like we're not saying matter more we're not saying anything it's like yeah. is that is that too that was too much for you guys to get on board with some yeah. people and so it's yeah, it's all connected in terms of uh, in terms of we, we have to look at the whole picture and we have to figure out how can we compensate for something that's been so stacked one way. Hmm. And that's what I think a lot of people are trying to do right now. Uh, and I and it takes a an active effort. And I, I love what you were saying as far as like, you know, don't like like what are you doing type of deal? Like 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 everybody wants to, to be upset at different people for, for not doing much. And, and I saw I remember. Uh, what you said remind me somebody was posting on like lebron's page that because he was commenting on on racism what's going on they're like well what about china like you're still in china doing all these things and like i'm not defending that because because you know there, there's human rights violations there and, and all over the world there's problems but what i always say to people is you know imagine that there's this block and there's fire and there's fires on on in the different houses and i'm in this house and it's on fire and we'll call this house america and i'm trying to put this fire out and there's a fire going on in China's house too. And you come up and you're not helping me and you're not helping them. And you're like, Hey, why don't you help that one? Like, yeah, of course <laughs> I'm ignore you. Like, yeah. like what, of course I'm going to ignore you. Cause yeah. you're not helping either one. <laughs> so, and I can't fight both of them necessarily all the time. And so, and, and that's why I try and hold judgment back. Cause I'm like, all right, what is somebody else doing? Maybe they're fighting a fire. You know, we, we have a, the, the health crisis right now is in Yemen, uh, yeah. I believe right now that like everybody's one in like some, they have a child dying every 15 minutes from hunger. Um, and there's always problems going on in the world for mm -hmm. sure. And, and I think that it's important. Why, 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 why I try and ask people a lot. It's like, don't tell me what you're against. Tell me what you're for. Exactly. Like what is it that you're doing that you're working on? Yeah. And well, I'm just, you know, not being racist. Like I'm just trying to live a good life. It's like, well, what does that mean? What are you doing? Tell me what you're doing. And, 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 you, and you don't have to, but if you don't, and same thing for like people, I, you know, I have some other friends that are like influencer people too. And they're just like, well, what do I say? Or, or do I say anything or do I not or whatever? 
And I said, well, well, nobody has to do anything. Yeah. But if you don't do something, understand that uh, that's on you to figure out like what your impact is. But let's say that you decide like, hey, I'm going to donate, but I'm not going to post or whatever. It's like, that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Just understand that there's repercussions for that. People might feel a certain way about that. Just the same way you might post and people might feel a certain way. Like whatever you do, there's going to be judgment. Yeah. And so you have to decide, okay, what, hopefully you're just not worried about judgment. You're just like, well, what is important to me and what do I want to do? And I want to do something. And however you do, if you're doing something, that's, that's my thought. It's like, as long as you're doing something, I appreciate it. Of course, everyone can do more. And I want everybody to do as much as they can. We need to right now because we're trying to fix such a big problem. Yeah. But just do something. And if you, and just understand that you have to make peace with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good, man. That's good, dude. Amen. I know I appreciate that a lot. And and yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, I think we're getting overwhelmed with like, wait a second, I just donated. Now I have to do this. And it's like, Hey, just, I think you just got to always calm. I was, you know, I mean, my biggest thing on my platform is always journaling. Cause as you're journaling, you're, you're clearing the fogginess in your head and, and the worry in your heart. And, and that's just like where it's like, you know, you're, you're doing these prayers and these journaling and meditating. And you're like, okay, I donated and, and yeah. Okay. Now I need to really vote. We need to vote. I need to inspire my other friend. I need to inspire my other, and I need to let my community oh, know. So share where just says, don't, there we go. Don't at vote. <laughs> wait, wait, let me get that real quick. All right, here we go. Check it out. Um, yeah. So yeah, vote. Don't just at, uh, so, um, yeah. And I think, I think, I think it's, you know, when I, when this all was coming up to the surface and I was like, okay, what can I do? Cause I don't want to ostracize white people. I don't want to, I want, I, we need them at the table. You know, you don't want to, um, patronize them and ostracize them. You, you need them at the table. So the second you start, d- d- you know, putting a magnet away from them, like you, you, you lose them. And so I'm, my heart's always been like, all right, how do I honor the black community? Um, like when I was in Ferguson, I was making a video from that. I was like, okay, I, I the goal, the, my goal is to convert white people into understanding black lives matter don't say all lives matter don't say black on black crime like that was my number one goal so i'm making this video and i was like how do i honor the black people and not whitewash it but how do i really and how do i make white people uncomfortable but also soften their heart and so when this was going on too i made this video on my igt video black lives matter and i was like all right my number one mission for this video is to change all lives matter people to black lives matter to to not just change it but to understand it and, and I was really thankful cause I got probably, you know, 20 to 25 DMS PM people like, Oh, I used to say all lives matter. Now I don't. And I was just like, okay, it was like, that was like a baby step. And I even if one person said it, I would have, my heart would have been, you know, a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a dance, you know? And so I want people to know as you're, I think, I think the biggest thing is our generation and the younger generation is they need to convert their parents, you know, in their small yeah. towns, like Josh from our Monday night group, he was saying his heart is just like shattered into a million pieces. Cause he's from this small town in Washington and he's seeing some of these people say these things of, I, I, you know, not like revealing their true colors, but it kind of is where it's like, he thought they were the most loving kind people and they are, but they don't understand what they're saying because of, they're not understanding it. They're not listening from their heart. They're listening from obviously media news telling you black on black crime and, and looting and rioting and, and it's covering up the pro like the protest is yeah is not looting and rioting the that's one percent of it and and even if you know even if it was like that shouldn't be breaking your heart you know like it's sh- we're missing the point or let it both break your heart like yeah. that's what i'm, I'm I, it's it's not even about saying like i'm not telling you to to look at looting and rioting or whatever you're looking at and just to be like hey that's no problem what i'm saying is that if you're gonna say like hey this yeah this looting is horrible 
but systemic racism is worse mm. and it is a factor that causes this. So since I actually care about uh, helping people, I'm not just going to complain. I'm going to fix the problem. Mm. And so that's what I, what I tell people to do is like, hey, like, don't finish your sentence. Like, what it's that? What don't tell me what you're against. Tell me what you're for. Like, what is that you're for? I get it. OK, you, you're upset about looting. Me, too. So now what do you want to do about it? Like, what's the action step that's that you want to take? Because complaining about it's not going to do anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dude, amen. That's it. Um, yeah, bro. I appreciate that. Uh, well, I, we're at an hour right now, Oh yeah, oh, um, which is good. I went by quick. Yeah, I, feel I, like, did. I know I was like, dang, I feel like we just started. Um, but I always want to respect people's time and hopefully we can either do a, I, it would, my dream. So Bruce interviewed someone on my podcast once. It'd be cool. Oh, if Bruce man. interviewed you one day. Oh, that'd be great. But I, for me, I'm always trying to plant a seed. You know, it's not like this podcast is going to change the world, yeah. but it's hopefully going to plant seeds of people to have conversations with themselves, with their family and with their friends. And, um, and hear a perspective of maybe like, I, I don't know. I feel like sometimes I can be a vessel to connections, you know, as people fall in love with like Bruce or, you know, my friend Kylan or whoever it is like, like sometimes like for instance, when I travel and I was in the Philippines when I was 19, there was a moment where I realized, and this was, this was 12 years ago. So like traveling was big, but it wasn't what it is now, but I realized I'm an ambassador for America. So every interaction I have with someone from the Philippines, they will think all 300 million of my people are like that yeah so i was like i need to be honorable and and integrity and i need to like value that that i'm an ambassador for my country that people are going to experience me and then they're going to look at the rest of my country that way and so i think i think um i want to be able to do that for every aspect and every resource we can as we're like a touch point you know to where um uh yeah, I don't know. Just hopefully this podcast can can do that and and bring people to you know your voice and message and and uh, I don't know. Just plant seeds, man. I mean, so one thing I, I and and I know we're wrapping up. It's when you were talking about you know being representative or plant seeds, or even when you're talking about hey how you uh, you chose like hey I'm gonna I want to convert like somebody from All Lives Matter to Black Lives Matter. I think that what people forget is how big this problem is hmm. of like systemic racism in America, how foundational it is, how deeply woven it is. And so what I, what I, what analogy I came up because a, a friend was saying like, he was, he was angry. He was like, why are we catering to these white people? Like, hmm. why are we bringing them in to this conversation? And his anger is pain. Frustration is extremely reasonable. Yeah. All, all, all the people that, that, that anybody that's black that's feeling that or that is like, I don't really deal with white people anymore. I'm just working on us and our community. Like, completely respect it. Because this battle is so big. This battle for justice is so big that we need people on all fronts. Hmm. So, when that's why when I said like, are you, as long as you're doing something, that's what I appreciate. Because like, if this is, if this whole thing's a mountain and I'm like here digging, trying to dig us out of this mountain and, uh, you know, so Drew Brees came by and Drew Brees was like, hey, like, yeah, I think this is awful. This is an awful mountain. We need to get rid of it. Um, but, you know, don't kneel for a flag. That's basically him walking up and he threw in like some dirt on top to add to this pile. And it's like, hey, you didn't help. Yeah, really. It wasn't helpful. But then the next day he does this whole apology. Like, you know, what? I've been called out. I've been learning. Like, I want to bring my resources. I want to help. If he's serious and he's like, hey, I want to help dig. I don't know how to dig perfectly. I'm new to this, but I do have $50 million to pay for this bulldozer to come help us dig. And I have 10 million followers and 1% of them decided that they're passionate enough to come dig with us. I'm going to say, yeah, let's dig. 
Yeah. Like, yeah, let's say, but there's going to be people who will be like, no, like I don't want to risk. Cause, cause we've been hurt so many times, yeah. so many times we've been tricked. We've been fooled. We've been hurt by these people who come up to help. And then they don't really, they, maybe they just want to take a picture with a shovel and that. So I understand the anger, but like right now, my role is like, I don't have time to decide that. If somebody wants to dig, I'm going to put them here. I'm going to have them dig. If somebody else, uh, you know, if if you are transferring over people to dig, and if somebody else, whether it's my community or somebody else that is uh, uh, not from black community, but just maybe an activist that feels like more efficient doing something else, like, and they don't want to work with you, or they don't want to work with somebody who's recently converted from All Lives Matter, they don't want to work with Drew Brees or whoever, I'm like, that's fine. Like, just keep digging. Like, like I don't like I'm I'm not here to to be the arbitrator of who gets to help and who not. Yeah. I'm just like, let's all get to work. And your anger is justified, and I'll and I'll I respect and honor it. Um, and I'll protect you like as much as I can. Uh, but I also like, I just want to get us out of this pile. And I, I, so yeah. I just want everybody to dig. And, and so I, I like I said, I if that. you're doing something, I appreciate it. Um, and keep, you know, just everybody keep trying to do more. Like, yeah. like nobody's going to feel like they're doing enough because we can't do enough. We're trying to reverse yeah. this big of a and, problem. And if someone walks up with a small shovel and they're, you know, doing a bad job, you're not going to yell at them and say, hey, we don't want your help. You're going to help. You're going to help give them a bigger shovel. Yeah. You're going to be like, hey, it, thanks for coming. Yeah. I see your shovel. I see how you're not doing too good of a job. Let me give you a bigger shovel. Yeah. Which, it, which means let me educate you. Let me show you a film or read a book or have a conversation. And um, it's not everybody's job to do that. Yeah. Like it, it's not, especially like it's, it's not black people's job to do that. I just took on that role because like, I feel like I've been fortunate enough to be in some spaces where I can do that or mm -hmm. where, where I'm in these and not, not can do that. Anybody can do it. It's not can do it. But like, I feel comfortable. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take this role. Yeah. Somebody else is going to take the other role where they're like, I'm not going to teach people how to dig. Like, I'm not going to teach people what shovel use. Yeah. I don't mind doing that because I'm like, this is my personal role that I decided to take. And as long, whatever role you take, as long as you're on this side of like digging us out, I'm for it. I respect it. And some people are mad at me for taking this role. Mm. And I get that. And some yeah. people, but some people are, I'm just like, hey, which is what I tell white people. I'm like, you're going to show up sometimes. You're going to be like, hey, I'm here to dig. And somebody's going to be like, where the hell have you been? all my life, get out of here. Yeah. The important thing that I tell white people is like, please don't leave. Like, don't be so sensitive. Like, because this, this attack that you're feeling right now is so small yeah. compared. Like, it's so easy to be like, Oh, you know, I just came to help. Like, like, but I guess I just won't say anything at all. Like Justin Timberlake made a song about it called say, say something or say nothing. And, uh, it's just like, because he tried to help and he got attacked or whatever. And it's just like, no, no. Like I promise you racism's worse than that small interaction you have so just please like don't leave find try again learn educate try again find a bigger shovel and and keep asking people until you figure and you don't even have to ask people because you can read you could find out but if you want to ask somebody you can ask me and i'll try my best to help and there's other people doing the same and that was much longer than i meant to add dude, on dude that was <laughs> perfect bro i freaking love that man dude thank you so much um yeah, y'all, if you're listening, I appreciate you if you made it this far and, and you got to really just kind of tune in and dive in and then delve deep into these topics, these conversations. And I hope and pray that you can, um, yeah, just process them and reach out to Kylan and myself and and um, go follow Kylan and see what he's doing and how he's kind of, you know, leading and conveying conversation and, and hope, I think, is a big one. Um, obviously, heartbreak, but there's, you know, a lot of hope when, when we look at your info and your information of just like, 
okay, baby steps. It's all about little wins, you know? And, um, so yeah, thank you guys for checking out the pursuing purpose podcast. Kylan, hopefully we'll do more. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're a brother dude and, and I love you, man. And thanks for coming on and, love you too, man. and uh, thank you all for listening. I appreciate you. Let me know, um, how you liked it. If you enjoyed it, please share on your social medias. That's a, that's a cool way you can be an ally is, um, just share this podcast. And, and I pray and hope that your friends can listen to it and, and just get some of these nuggets that are, that are, um, kind of intertwined with all of it. And, uh, yeah, I love you guys. Thank you so much for checking this out. And uh, until the next one, peace, y'all. Peace.